gets colder My eyes go thin as I get older Piece in pieces, bloody and bruised I feel so helpless and confused Cause I hear screaming on the left, yelling on the right I'm sitting in the middle trying to live my life This is Evelyn Pringle. Welcome to Focus on the Facts. I have two guests today calling in from England to be on the show. Jason Goodman is a former Hollywood film director or filmmaker and is now an investigative researcher and journalist who recently started the Crowdsource the Truth site on Facebook. And Chris Negrin is also an investigative researcher and journalist. Today they covered a protest in the U.K. seeking the release of WikiLeaks whistleblower Julian Assange from the Ecuadorian embassy. They also hope to interview Julian while they are in London. Several weeks ago, Trish and Jason joined up with the George Webb in the open-source investigation of the corrupt Clinton Foundation. Their investigation is exposing the worst scandal of all time in U.S. history. Right now, the biggest story that is being suppressed in the mainstream media involves a spy ring set up in Congress by the Awan brothers from Pakistan and the murder of the Democratic National Committee staffer named Seth Rich after he leaked information from the Democratic National Committee to WikiLeaks. Jason and Trish will discuss their latest findings on those matters today on the show. George Webb began the crowdsource investigation of the Clinton Foundation by following the money because Eric Braverman, the former CEO of the Clinton Foundation, who went missing 240 days ago, said to follow the money. So Braverman has not been seen publicly for 240 days, but he's supposed to be giving a speech at a conference tomorrow in the U.K., and Jason and Trish plan to attend the conference to verify that he's still alive. George started his investigation of the Clinton Foundation by looking for rat lines. Rat lines are set up in all the countries that the U.S. goes to war against alongside of oil pipelines, and they're used to traffic arms and drugs. But not far into the investigation, George found that the rat lines were also being used for child sex trafficking and organ harvesting. The Clinton Foundation, the CIA, and DynCorp Corporation are operating these rat lines in Libya, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Haiti, and many other countries, including all across the United States. George says they are making more money off the child trafficking, sex trafficking, and organ harvesting than they were from making from the drugs and arms trafficking. As the investigative videos they put out each day reveal more facts and truthful information, these investigators are being hammered online in the comments by highly paid trolls, and they have also received public threats of physical violence. The trolls are paid to disrupt and distort the investigation and to intimidate these brave investigators in hopes that they will stop their investigation, but that's not going to (laughs) happen. I'll bring Trish and Jason on now to tell us how their trip to the U.K. is going and to give us the latest details on the spy ring in Congress and the lowdown on the Seth Rich murders and the murder of so many other people involved with the Clinton Foundation and the release of information to WikiLeaks. But first of all, I want to let Jason and Trish know how happy and excited I am that they agreed to take time out during the trip to call in for this interview and focus on the facts. So welcome to the show, Trish and Jason. Hi, Evelyn. How are you? Hi, Evelyn. I'm good. Thank you for having us. Oh, I'm so happy that that you're willing to come on. Um, You're so brave. And and why don't you start out by telling us uh, how you decided to go to England at the last minute, wasn't it? 
It was a little bit last minute. As you pointed out, you know, George's investigation began asking the simple question, where is Eric Braverman? And I'm glad that you brought that up because so many people uh, mistakenly presume that it's strictly an investigation into the murder of Seth Rich. And we get a lot of questions saying, hey, uh, you know, why are you covering this other story? You're trying to distract people from Seth Rich. And that's not true at all. Uh, What happens in a crowdsource scenario, you know, the crowdsource investigation specifically is that, you know, George or whoever is involved in the investigation gathers raw intelligence and publishes that. And it's substantially different than a standard news process. So George has his channel, which you can find on YouTube, George Webb. And his channel is really primarily focused on short snippets, videos from maybe two to about 10 or 15 minutes, with most of them being about five, six, seven minutes long. And he's very focused on gathering evidence, what he calls metadata. And uh, he really, it's just a one man with a cell phone going around and focusing strictly on empirical facts, things that can be measured, viewed, photographed, recorded, public records. He secondarily relies on Pulitzer Prize winning reporters like Cy Hirsch and people like that. For advice. For for advice. And just, you know, he he really is very focused on highly vetted and, and really verified information, which is why I'm confused when people accuse him of just randomly saying things without any evidence. I mean, it's, it's to the opposite. And the thing that happens is, as he presents this evidence to the audience, for example, we were talking about an individual who may be related to the murder of Seth Rich, uh, a taxi driver in the Washington, Washington D.C. area who's also been associated with the terrorist organization Boko Haram, individual by the name of Al-Fajalo. And when we mention this individual and show his photograph, someone elsewhere in the uh, vicinity who wasn't necessarily a law enforcement expert or an investigative expert, but just a person who is renting uh, rooms on uh, Airbnb or Craigslist or one of these type of Internet services, that person was watching our program and, and recognized the photograph and contacted us and said, hey, I rented a room to that guy's brother, and here's his driver's license. So that's a new piece of metadata. That's a piece of evidence. That's an actual driver's license. And so that's the kind of thing that brought us here to England. Someone had discovered that Eric Braverman was supposed to be speaking at this engagement, and we learned about it, and we thought, wow, this is our chance. And so we decided to go see if we could find Eric Braverman. (laughs) Yeah, so the input from the crowd really, George calls it shaping the search. You know, he'll put out information of a certain type if he's trying to focus in on a particular aspect of the investigation. Now, when I became involved, I was really curious. I also felt like, well, yeah, where is Eric Braverman? I'd like to know. And, of course, George is only one man, so he can't investigate everything all the time. He's, He's quite busy, and he's what I would call an intrepid reporter. He's out there all the time. But, uh, you know, living in New York, there were a couple of leads that George had that I followed up on, including going to an apartment that was purportedly Eric Braverman's apartment. And I made a video, which you can see on my YouTube channel, which is Crowdsource the Truth on YouTube. 
And uh, in that video, I went to the apartment building and, you know, went and evaluated it. It really didn't seem like the type of apartment that a wealthy, stylish young man like Eric Braverman would live in. It seemed like a pretty run-down, kind of sketchy building. So I didn't really feel it would be a good idea to knock on the door. But, again, that was a piece of metadata. The doorman had just started working there. They didn't really know who he was. We went from there to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, to visit his mother's house and got very strange reactions from the neighbors. So, again, I mean, you know, no individual item that I'm discussing right now is concrete proof of where he might be. But these individual pieces of evidence, the fact that the neighbors living right across the street from his mother claimed to not know her or her name, Another neighbor came out right away when I started knocking on the door and gave a performance in something that George would call a school play. And, I mean, again, I leave it to the viewers to watch that video. It's on the Crowdsource the Truth YouTube channel called Where is Eric Braverman's Mother? And you can evaluate the performance of these people and see if you think they're being truthful or not. And we put all this evidence together, and we create a theory, a working theory, and that drives the direction of, of where we go from there. So we haven't given up on the Seth Rich murder. We've just sort of tapped out all the leads that we currently have, and, and we're looking into other areas. For instance, Trish and I are in England today, and we met with a variety of people who are pivotal in this story who have given us some new information that could help open up new avenues in the Seth Rich case. Uh, Trish interviewed Craig Murray earlier today. And he's the former U.K. ambassador to Uzbekistan, and he's one of many people associated with WikiLeaks in um, providing the relays where the information is handed off from the leaker to and then off to uh, WikiLeaks or something along those lines. Although we did learn from him today that um, he did not take a thumb drive from Seth Rich. So that's a new piece of metadata. We don't know what was on the thumb drive. We don't know what data was transferred from the DNC to the Clinton Foundation. But we know there was what George called a mega upload. And he's obviously poking fun at Kim.com and the website that was involved potentially. But, you know, the fact that we now have firsthand reporting from the man himself, Craig Murray, saying, no, I did not receive a thumb drive from Seth Rich. That's going to take the investigation in another direction. And I mean, that's, that information is maybe five hours old, six hours old. So who knows where that will take the investigation. And tomorrow we are receiving some, you know, unconfirmed reports that Eric Braverman is here in Oxford. And we're, we're feeling like we may see him tomorrow and finally answer the question of where is Eric Braverman. And we want to sit down with Eric Braverman and, and do one of our long-form interviews with him or at very least have him on a, a live stream for a chat and ask him some important questions. Did you interact with Seth Rich? It's very possible he may tell us things tomorrow that will help advance the investigation into who murdered Seth Rich or if Seth Rich was murdered at all. Because, again, to get back to the metadata, we did do a long-form interview with Rod Wheeler. Now, Rod Wheeler was the investigator, the former D.C. Metro Police homicide detective, who was hired by the Rich family as a private investigator to find out who killed Seth Rich. And when we spoke to Rod Wheeler, he told us that there was no autopsy report, no death certificate uh, of the three police officers who responded that were wearing body cameras. No video footage was available. FOIA requests for that video footage have been denied. And so there's a distinct absence of hard evidence 
indicating that Seth Rich was actually killed. Now, that's not to say that we are saying he wasn't killed, but certainly it introduces the possibility that he wasn't. And other people who watch the show and watch the channel have asked us questions about some inconsistencies, you might say, in the behavior of the family, the demeanor of his brother. And, you know, the parents have fired Rod Wheeler and stopped his investigation. A lot of people say, well, why would they do that? And certainly, let's imagine, and again, this is hypothesizing. It's not a conspiracy theory, but we're looking at the evidence that we have and where it might take the investigation and what it might indicate. So let's assume for a moment maybe Sethridge wasn't murdered. Maybe he was kidnapped. But did his parents have a funeral for him? Well, yes, but certainly you could just stick a box in the ground. Let's assume he was kidnapped for a moment. And stay with me, and it might make sense. If he were kidnapped, and for some reason that we can't determine right now, and the kidnapper said to the family, listen, you better convince the world that he's dead or else we will actually kill him. Now, that would certainly explain certain inconsistencies in the family's behavior. And the absence of the autopsy and other um, video footage and reports that you would normally have associated with this kind of event. That's right. When we asked Rod Wheeler how frequently in homicide cases that he's investigated has there been no autopsy report, no death certificate, no photographic evidence, he said never. So that's a huge anomaly. That's a huge cloud hanging over this investigation. It's also worth noting that uh, the chief of police, Kathy Lanier, Lanier, she resigned six weeks after the murder. And again, it's not proof of anything. It's just a piece of metadata about this murder that causes us to wonder. And certainly if this is a conspiracy theory, we invite the D.C. Metro Police to uh, release the body camera footage Show us the death certificate, show us the autopsy, show us the subsonic bullet that was purportedly used to kill him. And, you know, we can't have neighbors and things coming out with testimony months and months after the murder and say, oh, that's proof. I mean, that's one person saying something. It's very interesting that the person who came forward has the same last name as the special prosecutor who's trying to impeach Donald Trump. Really? I'm not saying that they're related. I'm just saying Mike Mueller has given us testimony about the Seth Richmond murder, and Robert Mueller is the special prosecutor. I'm not right. saying they're related. It's just strange. Right, right. Yes, it, it, it's all very strange. And this business about, you know, that there's never any video anywhere of any of these things happening. I mean, you know, they've set up things to spy on our every move, and then right. something like this, this, this supposedly murder takes place, and you can't find any videotape of anything about That's it. That's right. Well, and in that fact, is. the FOIA requests for the body camera footage and the autopsy report were denied um, to really? Scott Taylor at ABC7 News. And then Judicial Watch filed a FOIA with the FBI. Um, I can't remember what for. Um, Probably his, his laptop. So that's, his, that's another. And, they, and, the, and the FBI gave a, quote, no records response, which is either they are saying they don't have it and they've never been involved in Seth Rich's investi- murder investigation, or they're considering it state secret. Right. And I, so why would a botched robbery be considered state secret if that's the case? And the FBI right. involvement is is 
sort of corroborated by Rod Wheeler in that he stated he asked the D.C. Metro Police if he could see Seth Rich's laptop because, of course, there's a lot of speculation that Seth Rich might have been involved with WikiLeaks. And the D.C. Metro Police told Rod Wheeler that the FBI had Seth Rich's laptop. So is that why would the FBI have his laptop? Well, that's a very good question. If the D.C. Metro Police say the FBI has Seth Rich's laptop, that would indicate that the FBI is involved in the Seth Rich murder investigation. And, of course, Seth Rich is not a federal employee when he's working for the Democratic National Committee. He's working for a private organization. The FBI does not investigate murders of private individuals unless it involves crimes that take place across state lines. And, you know, there's no good reason why the FBI would be involved there. And And yet they gave the no records response to that FOIA request. So it's highly contradictory, the information that we're getting. That's right. And then we have Kim.com, who specifically stated that he knew Seth Rich was the leaker. But he has yet to provide any evidence of that. So, we, you know, there's all these conflicting reports, and, we, you know, you just have to run each one down and hope that one leads you to the answer. And to bring it back to something that you said earlier, Evelyn, you know, it is very strange that we are living right now in a world of uh, technology, constant surveillance in 2017, cameras everywhere. There were security cameras at a convenience store right on the corner where we shot multiple police cameras around in the neighborhood. And there's just, there's no footage there. It doesn't doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, and, of course, uh, oh, boy, I just lost my train of thought on where I was going with that. But uh, <laughs> we have this. It's just, there, there's so many, many anomalies. Oh, sorry. So here's what I was going to say. The other thing that George talks about is uh, modus operandi. And, and I also extend that to just sort of be like pattern recognition. Now, of course, when we have one murder with, strange anomalies in the photographic evidence and tampering with the autopsy or missing data about the autopsy or non-standard handling. For instance, in 1963, when President Kennedy was murdered, the autopsy did not take place in Texas as legally it should have, and there's these all kinds of uh, inconsistencies with photos, missing autopsy photos, different autopsy photos, drawings of autopsy photos that were evaluated rather than actual photographs. Of course, we've got Vince Foster, who was uh, found dead in Fort Marcy Park. The photographic evidence was overexposed in the police laboratory. And so, you know, when you have a pattern of these strange murders, and it's people who are, these aren't, you know, random people. These are very important people who are involved with the government, related to the government, related to the activities of the government. It starts to create a pattern, and, and that itself is metadata. It's just, you know... Too many odd coincidences. Well, right, and what bothers me so much is now they're just slaughtering people in plain sight for the whole world to watch and getting away with it and nothing gets done about it. I mean, this is really scary to me. It is. And, you know, the the truth tellers are kidding. We had the shooting last week of Louisiana Representative Steve Scalise. And, you know, of course, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, of course, you know, there's all these overlapping situations in this broad investigation. It's so deep and so dense. You know, the Awan brothers infiltrating Congress, Debbie Wasserman Schultz hiring them to be her, basically her assistants. And she's very closely related with the Awan brothers. Imran Awan has her iPad and her password. That's revealed in an email uh, in WikiLeaks. And if you go on to YouTube, 
and look up Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Daniel Verderosa, you can see video, firsthand information of Debbie Wasserman Schultz herself threatening the chief of the D.C. Capitol Police, which is a much different law enforcement agency than the D.C. Metro Police. She's threatening Daniel Verderosa with budget cuts and other consequences if he doesn't return what she qualifies as lost property. But in fact, are the stolen laptops and BlackBerry phones that the Iwan brothers stole from members of Congress. Debbie Wasserman Schultz is threatening the chief of police to give back evidence in an ongoing investigation. And meanwhile, now we have three prominent attorneys murdered or killed in untimely ways um, in a matter of two weeks or so while we're awaiting the decision on the um, motion to dismiss by the DNC in that fraud lawsuit. It's the same county, it's the same district, and it's all Debbie Wasserman Schultz's district. So we're not right. saying that Debbie Wasserman Schultz is involved in these crimes, but there's certainly a lot of information about people and situations that link her to the activities like Jared and Elizabeth Beck, who are uh, pursuing a fraud lawsuit for $300 million against the DNC about a week or two ago, received a threatening phone call that was made with a digital voice encoder to disguise the caller's voice. But, of course, the criminal mastermind failed to deactivate caller ID. And uh, Jared and Elizabeth have determined that that call came from the Aventura, Florida office of Debbie Wasserman Schultz. So these are items of metadata. Again, none prove the commission of a crime, but they're certainly interesting. We're finding that a lot of people... They want us to present, you know, a high-definition video of somebody, you know, shooting a gun right at Seth Rich. We don't have that. No one right. has that. If the police have that, please bring it forward, and that would really save us a lot of time and help us solve the crime. But in the absence of that, we have to look at these various pieces of data, these various pieces of metadata, and create an intelligence assessment, which is to some extent, like reading tea leaves. You are trying to put together a puzzle from little tiny pieces. No one's coming forward and telling us what happened. Uh, George and myself took quite a bit of fire from some of our friends manufacturing fake news at outlets like the New York Times and CNN, who uh, interviewed us about uh, an incident that occurred at the Port of Charleston in South Carolina. Now, George has said publicly many times that he has sources who are in law enforcement, they're retired law enforcement, they're retired FBI, they're active FBI, all kinds of people. We don't know who George's sources are. But I do know that on several occasions, George has told me things that on face value seem quite fantastical and not possible, but yet they are vetted out over time and they're true. And there's a number of different things that George has reported on well before the mainstream news or anyone. So specifically with this incident, this incident at the port, George received intelligence that various vessels in the Maersk line were being used to transport illicit radiological materials, depleted uranium, nuclear waste, things like this, heavy water, dangerous matter. And he's outlined in the series on his channel, George Webb on YouTube, and of course on the Crowdsource the Truth YouTube channel. George has outlined a number of different ways in which these materials could be used and linking them to the locations where these ships have traveled to, linking them to government reports, 
publicly published government reports from the government of Sri Lanka and other places indicating that there are high levels of radiation on some of these Maersk ships. And meanwhile, the Obama administration, just in December of 2016, named dirty bombs with this kind of material as the greatest threat to our ports. Right. And that's a government report that's coming from the Obama administration. And, of course, we have we have other information that gets sort of, you know, combined with this information, like the fact we are seeing articles coming now from the readers and crowdsource the truth or crowdsourcing this publicly available information about failures of scanning equipment and the shortcomings of the various technologies that are used and the ways in which uh, dangerous materials can be hidden from, you know, old 1970s detection equipment. So what we're basically pointing out is there is a huge problem, and possibly the biggest issue is this loophole having to do with diplomatic pouches. A diplomatic pouch is the concept that when it began, Diplomats had certain private articles that could be kept in, a, in basically a hand carry bag, a pouch, a small purse, that would not be subject to search and seizure by customs as the diplomat would travel into the United States or elsewhere. And over the years, the diplomatic pouch has grown from a pouch to a bag, to a suitcase, to a steamer trunk, now to the size of a full-size cargo container. And we do have information that indicates that the Awans had passports that were issued by the White House, potentially diplomatic passports. I believe George is still trying to verify that and confirm that, but there are a lot of strange things about these Awan brothers. Four guys between the ages of 22 and 36, earning $160,000 each in Congress, owning 12 homes around Lorton, Virginia, owning in excess of 25 businesses, including used car dealerships, mortgage companies, rice importation companies, uh, fruit canning companies, shipping logistics companies. It just doesn't make sense. I don't know too many 36-year-old, 22- to 36-year-old people that own all those companies but yet still choose to work a full-time job fixing people's computers in Congress. It just doesn't make sense. So that calls all of their activities into suspicion. And when we use things like Import Genius, which is a publicly available online tool that allows you to look at bills of lading and shipping routes and things like this, where you can see that the Awan Brothers Shipping Company is doing things like shipping 160 pounds of canned goods from Canada to Florida on a Maersk ship. Now, why not put a 160-pound container on a FedEx truck or a UPS truck and ship it by ground, or even U.S. Postal for that matter? It would be much faster and much less expensive. So, again, we can form an intelligence assessment based on this abundance of evidence that indicates the possibility that they may be moving illicit materials, drugs, weapons, radiological materials, on these Maersk shipping vessels. And we have been accused, as you pointed out, by our detractors of calling in a bomb threat, which is flatly incorrect, totally fake news. And it's well, the mainstream and media said, that, said that, that George did, though, didn't they? Well, the mainstream media, what they reported... So when we received a phone call from Donnie O'Sullivan at CNN, I told Donnie that I would record the phone call to keep us both honest. And frankly, it is fully legal in both New York State and Ohio to record a phone call if one of the parties on the call is aware that it's being recorded. And uh, also, 
this being a matter of national security, and Donnie calling a news organization, crowdsource the truth, engaged in journalistic endeavors, whether he cares for our brand of journalism or not, that's what we are doing. This is a matter of newsworthy national interest. So uh, we published the actual words of Donnie, George, and myself for viewers to listen to so that they can decide who said what. Donnie wrote a fictional tale based on something completely different from what George and I said that did seem pretty well focused on discrediting us as a news organization, George as an investigator, and it just seemed focused on calling it a conspiracy theory. Well, it's a fact that the Obama administration said this is a huge risk. It's a fact that Dr. Jerome Corsi wrote a book in 2006 about the threat of dirty bombs and loose radiological material. And people need to understand, a dirty bomb... It's not a mushroom cloud nuclear explosion like the type of missile that would be launched from the Soviet Union or the United States or China or a major power like that. But it is basically just an improvised explosive device that creates a toxic environmental situation where uh, maybe 160 pounds of liquid in cans could be exploded with dynamite or C4 or even a kerosene canister. Very simple improvised device that could spread this toxic material around and do real damage. So we're trying to point out to people that the loopholes that allow diplomatic containers to hold large shipments and large quantities of stuff that customs isn't even allowed to look at. Or x-ray even, like they're prevented from even x-raying right. the content. It represents a huge threat to everyone, everywhere that here in these insane. port cities. Right. Sorry, they can't. I said that is insane that they can inspect it's, all the material totally coming insane. into our ports. It's totally insane. And what's yeah. even more insane is that people like Disinfo Donnie at Fake News CNN are more interested in telling George that he doesn't know what he's talking about and telling us that we're conspiracy theorists than they are at bringing attention to these facts and alerting the American people that these laws need to change. I'm all right with a diplomat having a pouch that customs can't look in, but I think it maybe should be limited to a pouch that the diplomat himself can carry or a suitcase that can be kept with him so that would ensure that the diplomat himself wouldn't want to be carrying around dangerous, toxic materials. He's got his personal effects, medical, whatever. Who knows? Anything could be in that diplomatic pouch. That's his personal business, his or hers. But if we're talking about something the size of a car, and there was another occasion that we saw from these uh, publicly available open source tools where a 2003 automobile was shipped in 2015, a 12-year-old car was shipped from Japan to Seattle. Now, why would you do that? A 12-year-old car could be purchased on the open market on eBay or Craigslist or a used auto dealer for certainly less than it would cost to ship the car from Japan to Seattle in a container, and we just couldn't figure out why this would be. So we put it out. That's a piece of raw intelligence. We got it from an, op from an open source, publicly available resource. It's, it's true to the extent that we know these websites are reporting what's being shipped. And one of the crowdsource members, the people in our crowdsource community, said, hey, you know, it's very possible that we've utilized that car because in 2002, cars didn't have built-in GPS units. And it would be more difficult to track that car. Now, that's a very interesting assertion. It's an observation. Now, is that a fact? Do we know that that's the reason? No, but that's a good 
That's a good assessment, and we can add that to other evidence that we have that allow us to put together a credible intelligence assessment of a potential threat. And that is what George and I and our viewers and listeners and members of our crowdsource community put together in real time on our live broadcast, and that prompted myself and some of our viewers to call the Coast Guard, not to call in a bomb threat, but to alert them, hey, we've got this abundance of information that indicates that there may be a clear and present danger. We didn't say close the port. We didn't say that. George was there, and George specifically told the Coast Guard, you need to investigate these four diplomatic containers that contain goods shipped by Awan Brothers Shipping, because these Awan Brothers are wanted by the D.C. Capitol Police, they have very suspicious ties to far too many businesses. That they were fired for hacking right. in Congress, and they were fired for hacking not just any congressmen and women. They were fired for hacking the ones who were sitting on the House Intelligence Committee and the House Select Committee, the most sensitive That's right. committees in our government. So when people tell George or people tell I that we don't have any evidence, we don't have any proof, we're conspiracy theorists, we're, we're past the point of being angered by that or frustrated by that. It's just become so clear that the only people who could or would say that are people who haven't taken the time to look at the evidence that's presented. And, I mean, listen, Evelyn, I get it. This is a deep, dense, complicated investigation that takes a lot of time to fully understand. And I've been embedded with George for over a month, working with him every day, you know, I still don't fully understand all the aspects of it, but I understand enough to know that there is a lot there. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've, I've been following this investigation from day one, and and it is so complex and it covers so many areas of crime and, and criminal conduct that if you don't keep up with it, it is so expanded, so complex. It, it, if you jump in in the middle and think you're going to pick this up from a couple of videos watching George, you're not going to do that. <laughs> Right, right. And I think that's the problem that most people are having. They watch one or two videos and they just say, well, this is a crazy person spouting out nonsense that he's making up, he's reading articles, he's doing whatever. That's not true. That is not true at all. This is an eight-month investigation with highly credible sources, members of the uh, law enforcement community, legal experts, financial crimes experts, people who know how to use these tools, how to track these ships. I mean, we track the ship in real time. Part of the reason that that Wednesday incident rose to such a fever pitch was that when the crowd acknowledged that you could use these uh, publicly available tools and websites to track the position of the ship, we saw that it was moments away from docking. In real time, we tracked the ship as it docked in the port of Charleston in South Carolina, and that gave us an added sense of urgency to alert the port authorities and to alert the Coast Guard that, take a look at this ship. We didn't say, oh, my God, there's a bomb on the ship, close it down. We said we have credible evidence that there could be a threat of a dirty bomb. There could be radiological materials. It would be very, very easy for anyone on the crew or someone to infiltrate the crew to bring C4 on there and set off a dirty bomb. That doesn't mean that we know that person X or Y or Z was on the ship about to set off a dirty bomb. That just meant, based on the preponderance of evidence, it was a huge threat and it should be evaluated. And they really overreacted, we think. Oh, 
Oh, absolutely, they did. Now, how many? Now, going back to this spy ring in Congress, how many? How many um, members of Congress did they take those laptops and and um, um, uh, cell phones from? You know, it's it's crazy. twenty is the number well, that I, I think heard. it was twenty burglaries, but 20, but yes. more than eighty members, I believe. So you know, the Iwan brothers they were working in Congress, and they were they also owned a company called Nanoset Technologies that sold louders and networking technology. So I mean, again, it seems like a conflict of interest to me. If you're working full time in Congress, you really should be giving the the representatives and the people of the United States your full attention. It doesn't seem to me that you could or – I mean, I've run my own businesses, and when I'm working full-time at a business, I don't see how I would have time to do a full-time job elsewhere. So if I'm running a networking company that's selling routers and installing routers and offices around Washington, D.C., I don't really think the principals of that company would go and take other full-time jobs elsewhere. Well, and the other thing to add to that is that the salaries at which the brothers and their wives were hired are two to three times what the average salary is for those roles among their peers. And in addition, they were rarely seen, in the, if ever, at the um, in the congressional IT offices. As so. a matter of fact, when George went to Congress and walked around asking staffers, showing the photographs, the only member of the Iwan brothers' crew that any of them had ever seen was Imran Iwan. But he, he those, those brothers and their wives had worked for as many as 80 different Congress people. That's right. That's right. From what we understand. Starting back when? Starting back, how long did they work for Congress? Well, oh, no, no. George keeps, oh, George keeps finding evidence that takes the Iwan brothers' involvement back further and further and further. I think he's back to 1998 or 1999. That's right. The other thing that keeps happening is, you see, being embedded with George and traveling with him all across the country, Ohio and Washington, D.C. and New York City, and there's other places that we're planning on going – I have learned that George is quite possibly the most profound genius I have ever met. And understanding the thought process of that type of genius mind is very difficult. I am not a profound genius. So it's often George is thinking about things and acting on leads and thoughts and puzzle solving in his mind in ways that I can't understand until well after he's complete. For instance, about a week or two ago, maybe two weeks ago or more, uh, we were out to lunch, George and I, in the midst of the investigation, and his phone started blowing up even more than usual, which is a lot. And everyone was saying, George, George, look at WikiLeaks. So we went back to our headquarters where we're conducting the investigation from. We've got some computer equipment and screens and video equipment and things like this, and we were evaluating some of the evidence on a big screen. George was reading out this tweet from WikiLeaks which was uh, an eight-year-old message to, the, I think, the president of Pakistan. And as he was reading it, I didn't, I didn't understand what he was getting at while he was reading it. It took me three times of watching this video. And again, if you go to the Crowdsource the Truth YouTube page and look for the video, Is This Real?, you can see it happening as it unfolded. And George is reading this tweet that's talking about the Nadra system. The Nadra system is a geospatial satellite system in Pakistan that is used to track every person down to, I believe, an accuracy of 10 feet. Now, this can be used for surveillance. This can be used for drone strikes. It can be used for all sorts of purposes. 
And the first names of each of the people named in this email match the key figures that are in the narrative of this investigation that George has been conducting for eight months. And it's clear to me that this was a message from Julian Assange to George. And that right. is also why we're here. And it's also worth pointing out, you were talking about the trail of bodies, Evelyn, and um, yeah. there's yet another one, Molly McCauley, oh, Dr. Yeah. Molly McCauley. She was murdered within days of Seth Rich. Right. And, again, no leads, no, no reports of any kind around her death. She was supposedly walking two large, very strong dogs when she was stabbed. Someone was able to get close enough to stab her and kill her while she was walking these dogs, yet at 11 no o'clock at night, right? Any kind. Right. And it wasn't and, at 11 o'clock at night? Yes, it was late at night after she had gone to a, a, an event with her partner. And this is a high-end neighborhood where these yes. types of violent crimes are never happening. So, again, it's... it's and, a, well, the other point about it is that she was um, involved in the... So NASA scientists, and she was very involved in satellite research and all kinds of things having to do with geospatial satellite technology. So, again, you know, people say, oh, you know, there's no evidence, and why aren't you investigating Seth Rich? Seth Rich is one of a string of crimes that have been perpetrated by what I characterize as the largest and most sophisticated criminal syndicate in human history. And that is what the investigation is all about. Right. Right, because now we're talking about in the United States, but these rat lines are all over the globe. They are. You know, they, oh, it's an international coalition of criminal activity, people from countries all over that are involved in this. It's not just the United States. Of course, Pakistan, uh, you know, Boko Haram operates in various countries in Africa. Uh, there's, it is so deep and so dense that it's not just something that you can present one video or one piece of evidence on a YouTube channel and say, there you go, there's your evidence, there's your proof. Well, and then the other thing we have is that you know, it reaches deeply into our law enforcement. So, for example, um, Andrew McCabe, he was the deputy FBI director for under several James years Comey, under yes. James Comey. And based on George's research, it, he's the one that's actually been enabling the whole thing and um, silencing anyone who dares to try and report what's going on, and he's kind of the enforcer. So it's not like you can use the traditional methods for addressing this crime, which is, again, all these people keep getting killed who try to blow the whistle anonymously. And so one of the things about, one of the reasons I got into the work that I'm doing and am now affiliated with George and Jason is that we were watching all these journalists get either um, shut down on social media, fired from their um, their conventional journal um, journalism work, or they would they would be killed. And we the idea was that we would find an audience large enough to have eyes on these people and allow them to report what they knew in broad daylight in the hopes that that would keep them alive and safe. And right. so that was a big motivation behind, again, the way we um, provided those files 
from the rabbit. I don't know if you're familiar with that. We, it con contains all the NGP ban data, Clinton Foundation documentation, and um, even a PowerPoint on how to rig an election. I mean, literally, sure. against gerrymandering and um, culling the voter rolls to ensure the preferred candidate won. And um, we think this is the information that got many of these people killed because they were trying to provide it to WikiLeaks anonymously, and in invariably they would be found out. And so, you know, again, it was sort of like, how do we turn this whole thing on its head so that we can pursue it in a way that um, safeguards the people who are willing to try and root it out? So just to get back to Andrew McCabe for just one moment, of course, when James Comey was removed by President Trump, uh, Andrew McCabe ascended to the role of interim FBI director, and we even saw him testify in that role at one point. He reported today, Evelyn, at the uh, Investment Watchdog, uh, Investment Watch blog, that George Webb was set up, and he's suing the FBI, and I happen to know that that is correct. He is. So uh, this is an interesting turning point in a lot of ways where we, we really see uh, citizens and citizen journalists standing up to the oppressive nature of criminals that have infiltrated the sacred uh, organizations that make the United States great. We're not saying that the FBI is a criminal organization. We're saying corrupt individuals have, have penetrated and have created a situation where the honest people working in these organizations are fearful for their lives. So when, you know, Disinfo Donnie from Fake News CNN calls us up and says, well, who's your source? Who's your source? We're not asking him who's the source for the PP dossier. We know the source is BuzzFeed, and they're a failing pile of garbage. So, you know, if he's not going to tell us who his source is. Why do we need to put at risk credible sources that have worked in Homeland Security and, uh, you know, in the, the intelligence agencies and the law enforcement agencies that make our country great, why would we want to compromise the safety of those individuals who want to see the right thing getting done? We wouldn't. Well, right, and, it's, and it's been, it must be harder and harder for whistleblowers to come forward now because they see that, you know, you get murdered, you know, and, and they're doing it to so many that um, – you know, there's not many people that are going to come forward anymore, and we've got to break this this time. We've got to. I mean, this has got to stop, this child trafficking, this child oh, trafficking. Yeah. It's horrific. Absolutely. It's horrific, Absolutely. yes. And anybody that tries to investigate it, like, like we pointed out about that congressman getting shot, yes, he had just come out yeah. and was talking about going to stop this child trafficking, yeah. human trafficking. And they get Who killed right away. I mean, they do this in broad daylight, like at that ball game. It's you know, just it's brain, so insane. insane to think that a member of Congress could come under fire in broad daylight. And that was an SEIU union member that shot at yeah. him. And SEIU has come into this investigation quite a bit. If you remember, early on... That's in the, the Service Employees when, Union, right? Yes. yes service employee, uh, service yeah. Employees Union International. And, you know, the SEIU came into this in a very public way on our channel when uh, George was in Brooklyn investigating the Clinton Foundation and was cornered in the hotel by uh, some SEI union members. And, and that was a real sort of dramatic turn in, in the investigation and a revelation to me that, you know, things were happening that I wasn't aware of and sound, sound ridiculous, but yet they happen. Oh, yes. And, and it can be all tied together. I mean, this Clinton body count, 
is just getting yes. absolutely insane. And But now it's right in public. But nothing right. gets done about it. I want to go back to what you were saying a minute ago, uh, Evelyn, about human child trafficking and all of that. Because a lot of people yes. have said, oh, George, you know, why don't you investigate Pizzagate? And if you're not investigating Pizzagate, well, then you must be uh, a pedophile. Now, that is a conspiracy theory, and that is fake news. Uh, very recently... Well, he is investigating. Uh, he doesn't put Pizzagate on it. I mean, these rat lines that he's uncovered and has been revealing from all over the globe with this child sex trafficking, you know, it's, right. it's, well, not, a it's, not, just limited, it's not just limited to that, because, you know, Pizzagate and the things that were revealed by the online crowdsource investigation into Pizzagate are horrific, of course. But it's, it's like looking through a keyhole at a hangnail on a patient that has terminal brain cancer. You know, right. it, it jumped to a lot of conclusions and it wasn't fully correct. Now, I'm looking at an article here from Inc. Magazine about Peter Thiel, who was one of the founders of PayPal, uh, a billionaire, and was a supporter of Donald Trump. And I'm not making any judgment about that, per se, but Peter Thiel, according to this article, is very interested in young people's blood. And he's come out and openly said that he's involved in these treatments where he is somehow ingesting the blood of young people. And we have information that indicates that there's even pharmaceutical research into the use of the blood of young children, the adrenalized blood of young children, and the restorative properties and the uh, youthful healing properties that the... Um, uh, stem cells and the adrenaline in the blood can provide to adults. Now, the way you get that adrenalized child blood is through child trafficking, child torture, horrendous, terrible things. And, of course, from the very first day, George has been revealing rat lines that involve human organ trafficking, child trafficking, adult slavery, sex slavery, all these types of things. So to say that because he's not investigating some pizzeria in Washington, D.C., run by a guy who, for some reason, uh, uh, what magazine was it? GQ magazine decides is the 49th most powerful man in Washington, D.C. You know, to say that not investigating that makes George somehow complicit is absurd. We agree. Those are very strange things that certainly require further investigation or explanation, but it's just... It's one small part of a gigantic criminal operation. Well, sure, and see, the people investigating Pizzagate, you know, I've been following that right from the start, too. Um, that was, that's limited to this country. That's the world leaders in this country involved in this. You know, um, but what George right. has uncovered is this is global. The world leaders right. are involved in this all over the globe. Well, I would say that the Pizzagate investigation at least to the extent that I'm aware of, it did extend beyond the United States. It spoke about child trafficking and child sex crimes in Norway and in England and in Australia. And it definitely was a worldwide network as well. I'm just saying that, to me, was an incomplete investigation. It was just scratching the surface. Right. There is so much more. It's even worse than that. Yeah, as bad as that is, it's Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and I, and I want to stress this again. We talked about this last week, Jason, that, um, you know, people are always saying, well, you know, this is just a conspiracy theory. This is made up. This isn't happening. And I said I have since the start 
been talking about this on this radio show every week, and I'm calling out these pedophiles in government, Podesta, um, Hillary. I call them right out what they are. How come, if there's no truth to this, why hasn't anybody sued me? I'm telling you, if somebody ever accused me of raping children and trafficking children yeah. for sex, and you know, if they ever accused me of the worst criminal crime on this earth, in my mind, I'd be suing them tomorrow if they accused me of something so horrible like this. But well, it's never I mean, happened the because reason it is that's happening. not happening, Evelyn, we, we see that's this right. tactic. That's a tactic like, see, George will sometimes use this tactic, and I've even said that I believe George was arrested in Ohio on purpose. Because now what it does is it creates a very public criminal charge against George and allows him to invoke the discovery process in uh, defending himself in the prosecution. And that's going to give him access to information that he otherwise couldn't have. So if John Podesta, let's say, and I'm not saying John Podesta is a pedophile. I don't I have. Am. I don't have. Distinctive <laughs> I am, and I wish he'd me. I do think he's involved in crimes that involve uh, children, and I do oh, think that he needs to do some explaining. I think there's a lot of weird emails that were uh, uncovered, but I don't know that we have actual evidence of that. It's possible that he is involved in what's called an influence operation, where maybe. And this is speculation. I can't say that this has happened, but maybe he knows people or is involved with people who are trying to compromise others, like politicians or political figures. Sorry? Well, and that's why we have to stop this. I mean, our Congress, they're all being blackmailed, and that's why they get get them to pass all these laws that are harmful to Americans— you know, that, that are good for corporations and everything. They're blackmailed into doing this. And the one that stands in my mind all the time is the mandating these vaccines for children, forcing parents to poison their own children with these vaccines. I mean, the right. parents, well, this is, this is rising up to a head. This is a big one, you know, because right. passing those laws and forcing people to shoot them vaccines into their kids, you know, um, sure. it's gone too far. But that's one of the ones, right. one of the things that I'm saying. They're passing laws that, that, members of Congress, that are harming Americans. And it's right out in the open. Absolutely. Yeah. And vaccine safety is something that I'm very interested in as well. And just, just to finish on the Pizzagate thing, I think that, you know, or I know because I've spoken to George about it, one of the main reasons why he doesn't specifically go into Pizzagate per se is that, you know, again, we don't deny that child trafficking and uh, pedophilia is a rampant and horrible crime. But that doesn't mean that we can necessarily draw specific conclusions about specific people. And Pizzagate, in many ways, got ahead of itself in making some of those accusations with incomplete evidence to the extent that it could, George Fields, uh, you know, discredit his investigation in the eyes of bodies that need to take it seriously in order for it to go to prosecution. The vaccine situation is another good one that you bring up because you see the mainstream media and, you know, conventional thinking have tried to categorize that as a very binary situation. It's either vaccines or you're anti-vax and you're crazy. What I'm interested in knowing about are the laws that were passed by Ronald Reagan in 1984 that categorized vaccines as biologicals rather than pharmaceuticals and allowed them to be brought to market with far less scrutiny than normal pharmaceutical products. And the incredible explosion that that created, well, sorry, I forgot the other important part. 
This was also coupled with a ruling that individuals could no longer sue pharmaceutical companies for vaccine injuries. So this created a windfall for the pharmaceutical companies and created a loophole, very much like this diplomatic pouch loophole. It's a very obvious problem that shouldn't be there. I think we all agree that vaccinating the population against dangerous and deadly diseases, particularly young children with weak immune systems, is an important thing that we would all want. But that doesn't mean we want to just give any old vaccine to a baby without knowing exactly what's in it, exactly what the results of uh, standardized tests and double-blind, you know, all the things that people do to test pharmaceutical products. So I would encourage people to watch the movie Vax. That's a movie that's, uh, you know, there's a movement that's been promoted by uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., and that really opened my eyes to the subtleties and the complexities of this vaccine debate. And it takes me back to George's investigation. It's not a binary thing. It's not either this guy's 100% correct or he's a crazy conspiracy theorist. It's a deep, complicated issue with a lot of layers and unending cast of characters that are interrelated through complicated mechanisms and machinations. And in order to understand it, you need to watch more than one five-minute video segment. And if you don't have time for that, that's fine. You can turn on the fake news. You can listen to Disinfo Donnie and all the other people that want to sell you nonsense and sell you pharmaceuticals and and, and give you this corporate-owned, advertiser-driven narrative from the mainstream news. Well, there is one other option. There are a couple of other options to understanding it. So um, I've done some writing about it to try and make it a more digestible form of the information. So I've written, I think, six parts now in the series Accidental Journalists, and that's on Mm -hmm. Medium for people who want to familiarize themselves but really just don't have the time to invest in watching all those videos. And then there's also now a Facebook page called The Daily Web, which tries to keep a running sort of um, update of the status of the investigation with sufficient context for people who aren't as intimately familiar with it. But we're looking for other ways that we can we can um, put together the content so that it is more accessible to a wider audience. Because as you pointed out, Evelyn, that it's the, the, the corruption is so rampant and um, persistent that it's really going to take a massive civil uh, movement to Absolutely. see this. Well, here comes the music. I want to thank you two so much for coming on. I was so excited that you would agree to come on today over there in England. And um, thank you so much, both of you. Well, thank you, Evelyn. Okay, we'll see you next. We'll see you next week, people. Goodbye. Piece and pieces, bloody and bruised.